Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. Our good martini comes straight from the justices of the U.S. Supreme Court. No, it's not that one. Not yet. Um, I'm I'm hoping it's Thursday, though, Jim, because I'm going to be gone next week, and I really want to talk to you when that decision comes down. But I have a feeling they might be saving that one for when they're – packing their bags for the beach and uh, elsewhere and getting out of town for the summer. I don't know about you, but that's what I think they're they're strategizing here. I was going to say I, every morning, you know, I, I'll write about it when the issue comes down. I've written about it when the leak came out. I don't really feel any need to, you know, write a preview piece every single day. But on various email chats that I'm on and, and you know, the National Review Slack and uh, various, there's always a, is today the day? Is it coming today? Is it Dobbs Day? It's not Dobbs Day. No. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Every morning, every morning, you know, every at least every weekday, there's a. Is this it? No, it's not. We all kind of know it's going to be the last day. Hey, it's not like people are trying to kill Supreme Court justices over it. No. Take your time, Roberts. No rush. <laughs> yeah, they should have gotten it out right away. But once they didn't, you knew it was going to be the last one. But uh, yeah, I think they're already going to be out of town. And we know how important Beach Week is to Justice Kavanaugh in particular. And after being, you know, <laughs> nearly uh, threatened and really threatened, almost assassinated, you know, uh, I'm sure he's out of town already. At least I hope he is. Uh, but no, the, the good decision. Greg, once I got to tell you, you know, once that last decision is out there, it's Miller time. <laughs> it's going to be f- freezing coming out of the cooler, but it's going to be great. But uh, anyway, Kavanaugh jokes. They're four years old now, but still, they're fantastic. And I'm sure they'll be cracking open the yearbooks, too. All right. <laughs> Anyway, the Supreme Court had a number of decisions today. The one we're going to focus on deals with school choice. Over at SCOTUS blog, the uh, announcement was the Supreme Court strikes down, in all caps, a main education program that provides tuition assistance for students to attend some private schools but excludes schools that provide religious instruction. SCOTUS says the exclusion of religious schools is unconstitutional. This was a 6-3 to three decision along the traditional line, so all three libs uh, voted against this. According to the uh, USA Today write-up of the story, at issue is a relatively unusual program in Maine that provides subsidies for education in rural districts that don't have their own high school. The state allows parents in that situation to use the money that would have been spent locally to send their children to other public or private schools, but not to programs that offer religious instruction. It's odd to me that a school district would not have a school, but nonetheless, in some of these rural areas, I guess that is the case. Uh, and so... Uh, Justice Roberts with the also the uh, the majority opinion here, and it's very similar to what he said in a 2020 case where he said that a state doesn't have to provide money to private schools, but if it chooses to do so, it can't disqualify some private schools solely because they are religious. So, Jim, I don't know how narrow this is going to be seen and applied as, as time goes on here, but it's more options for parents, and that can only be a good thing, especially right now when school choice is such a hot issue and needs to be for the Republican Party. Yeah, I haven't taken a full read through the Roberts decision, but it, it's full of the excerpts so far are all just kind of full of the common sense points of if it is perfectly legal and constitutional for the U.S. government to fund Pell Grants and other types of scholarships that people can use to attend religious universities, 
why would not it not be okay to use state funding to go to a religious school? And then if you're going to have a state-run voucher program that's going to allow kids to go to a private school, why is it okay for them to use a state voucher to go to a private non-religious school, but it is not okay to have them go to a religious school? And six justices looked at that and said, yeah, that doesn't make sense at all. Sorry. No, you got to have everybody. You got to have nobody. Um, this is not a, you know, separation of church and state does not mean discrimination against church. It does not mean using the state to limit, you know, people's exposure to religion and things like that. Um, I, I think this is the most kind of, you know, by, by the standards of a lot of Supreme Court decisions, straightforward, direct, clear, and breaking down along the lines. We like to see them break along. Uh, as you know, many people have noticed, you know, you could argue, you know, John Roberts is now the swing vote on this. If he's on board with it, you kind of know the lefties don't have that strong an argument. And, uh, you know, the good news is Maine's program will advance forward. I also want to salute Bloomberg Law for illustrating their tweet of this court case, you know, the article, putting out the article about this court case with a picture of a Maine lobster boat. <laughs> I think they said, Where, where's this case? Oh, it's Maine. OK, well, just find me, find me a good Maine image. Well, it's a school. No, no, give me a Maine lobster boat. That's, that's how it is. At least they didn't go with Angela Lansbury or Stephen King. <laughs> no stereotyping there whatsoever. Ah, it's got nothing to do with the case. But yeah, Angela Lansbury. Man, the murder rate per capita in Cabot Cove, Maine, just off the charts. The most the dangerous charts. community in America. <laughs> Makes Twin Peaks look like Mayberry. <laughs> or Hawkins, Indiana, for that matter. Oh, man. Well, uh, we have we actually have an election day in Virginia today. I just voted this morning. I'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. But uh, also, we got a presidential election coming up in 2024, which you might have heard a little bit about. And we're brought to you in part today by the Presidential Election Project. Imagine a scenario in the year 2024 that is similar to the 2020 election. A lot of questions about irregularities in votes and even debates and recounts of votes in key states. Except this time, it would be Vice President Kamala Harris being urged to interpret her role in the process as one where she has the right to determine which electoral votes count. And why? Because the Electoral Count Act just isn't specific enough. The Presidential Election Project wants to see this changed. Go to presidentialelectionproject.com now to sign up and get updates on this issue. Learn more about this very important procedural ceremony and what steps Congress is taking to reform and clarify our electoral process. The project urges you to visit presidentialelectionproject.com and sign up to get those updates so that by 2024, there's no question that Vice President Harris will not have the power to overturn any results. Presidentialelectionproject.com. The chance for nuclear war increases every day that the war in Ukraine continues. I'm Bill Walton. On the latest edition of The Bill Walton Show, national security expert Brandon Weikert and I also discuss how China is weaker than Russia in one key area, why Taiwan's defenses are dangerously weak, and how Joe Biden wants to make the same mistake with Iran that we did with China. Follow The Bill Walton Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, uh, come 2024, who knows what the Democratic ticket will look like. Uh, right now, the Biden team says he's going to run for re-election. We'll see. Only 37% of Democrats want him to, and that's usually not a very good indication. Uh, I believe he's back at the White House now, but uh, he was at the beach up until yesterday. And it was yesterday he was talking to reporters, and they're still talking to him about uh, skyrocketing and stratospherically high energy prices. And, of course, uh, you know he could empathize with people paying $5 a gallon, but we can't do that. Instead, he uh, 
dredges off a, a quote that his mother may or may not have said. We, we really have no idea. Uh, but basically saying, uh, you know, all this pain at the pump and everything else that we're paying high costs for, ultimately that's going to be a good thing. Here's how he put it. My dear mother used to have an expression, if anything lousy, something good will happen if you look hard enough for it. Mm-hmm. We have a chance here to make a fundamental turn toward renewable energy, electric vehicles, and, and not just electric vehicles, but across the board. And, uh, and that's something we should be, my team is going to be sitting down with the CEOs of the major oil companies this week and uh, try to get an explanation how they justify making $35 billion. In the first quarter. Are you planning to sit down with all the gas CEOs, no. Mr. President? Why, why is that, sir? Because my team's going to do that. He has no idea how energy prices work. So he's in the first part of this clip, Jim, talking about how actually this is a good thing because we're making a fundamental turn towards renewable energy. Fundamental in Democratic words means really expensive for you. Uh, and then uh, he then blames the oil companies <laughs> for the fact that their prices are high uh, when he's trying to kill them. So there you go. Greg, one of the things that is most infuriating about Joe Biden is that even if you accept his general suppositions and his outlook on life, let's assume you generally agree with President Biden that uh, fossil fuels are dirty. Well, first of all, not all fossil fuels are equally dirty. And in fact, clean natural gas has been one of the ways that the U.S. has dramatically reduced its carbon emissions over the last couple of years. So if you wanted to say, hey, let's get a get rid of coal, but let's promote natural gas, then, you know, maybe there'd be some value in that. Instead, the environmental movement out in California, they want to, like, you know, ban uh, new buildings from being built using natural gas. They want everyone to be required to use electric stoves. Uh, and if you've used both, you know, my sense is you probably recognize electric stoves don't heat up as fast, don't heat up as evenly, and they just take forever, you know, takes 40 minutes to make a bowl of chili. Um, the second thing, so you, let's assume you, you you just want you know people to use fewer fossil fuels. The first thing is you'd make distinctions among those fossil fuels, but then you would look at things in the you know June 2022 and you say, oh wow, this is not turning out the way I want it. Uh, we've got great risks of power outages in the West. We've had a bunch of uh, oil refineries shut down. Gas prices are seven bucks in California, six bucks across the country. Wow, this is red, and it's all making me really unpopular. So you might look at that and say, okay, look, I love solar, I love wind, but clearly they're not ready. Clearly, I love electric cars, but clearly lots of Americans don't have electric cars. So but when gas gets really expensive, I can't run around saying, well, just buy an electric car. Oh, by the way, that also raises the question of um, how you can afford the electric electric car, uh, what creates all the electricity for that electric car to run, and as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, how long it takes to recharge them and whether they really are effective for long hauls and road trips and things like that. None of this seems to enter Joe Biden's mind. Instead, we got, ah, you know, my mom used to say, every bad thing creates something good. And, you know, all these kind of, you know, I'm sure in his mind he sounds folksy and reassuring, but in fact it doesn't. He just seems spectacularly, wildly out of touch. And even if you still were absolutely committed to this, you'd like you would presume that as a Democratic president, you'd like to keep the nominally Democratic Senate and you'd like to keep the Democratic House. And you'd look at that and say, "Wow, you know these really high gas prices, really high inflation. This is all of this is making it much more expensive to get stuff. This is all really bad. I'd better do something, or at least." look like I'm doing something between now and November. Otherwise, my party is going to get shellacked. And yet, oddly, Biden is just going, no, no. In fact, in that AP interview, Joe Biden was convinced that Democrats are not just going to hold the House. He thinks that he's predicting they're going to pick up four seats in the Senate. There's nothing in the polling pointing to this. There's nothing in the turnout in the primary races so far that points to this. There's no indication. 
Every indicator says that Democratic turnout is going to be depressed. Every indica indicator points to Republican turnout being off the charts. And yet Biden walks around in this happy fog that everything's going fine. And I, I, I sit around and wonder, I, I wonder what he gets briefed. I wonder if he can fully comprehend what he's getting briefed. I wonder how much he listens. I wonder how much he reads uh, what he's given. And I kind of wonder how much of it permeates that cranium of his. And he, he just seems to think, ah, oh, it's just doing by the way. Just wait. It's going to turn around. It's going to turn around. Well, look, we're getting towards the end of June. Gas prices are enormously high. Inflation is raging out of control. And the average American's really PO'd about it all. And Joe Biden's saying, don't worry, it's going to work out better in the long run. Well, some of us have to get through the short run and the medium run until then. And uh, I don't know, I'm just, uh, it is utterly exasperating. And it's another sign that I think this guy is just um, well past his due date. <laughs> He's like that food in the back of the refrigerator. It's, uh, long, it's spoiled a long time ago. He's just so inconsistent, and so is the rest of his administration. So on the one hand, he's releasing millions of barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and then on the other side of his mouth, he's talking about, ah, this is actually good. We need to get to renewables anyway. Oh, and oh, by the way, uh, could the Saudis and Venezuelans pump a ton more oil? And Iran, you too. Uh, we'd love to buy from you because for some reason that's better <laughs> than producing domestically. It, it makes absolutely no sense. There's no consistency uh, at all. They're just completely flailing right now. On the one hand, moving towards their uh, renewable agenda, which is nowhere near ready, as you mentioned. And at the same time, because of the actual energy realities, uh, they're begging terrible people to pump oil. So that's where we are. Uh, but uh, I hope he's wrong about Dems plus four in the Senate, Jim. Um, there's only one surefire way to make sure that he's right, and that's if the Republicans keep nominating terrible candidates. And we'll get to that in our crazy martini here because that appears to be a pattern that we need to derail while we still have some time. But in the meantime, we're also brought to you today by NetChoice. From inflation to national security to lackluster leadership, Americans have many concerns about the direction of our country. But instead of taking responsibility for their own policies, progressives are blaming businesses for rising prices and want to use heavy-handed regulations like radical antitrust reform to achieve their goals. Progressives want to put big government in charge of our internet, attacking our own while global competitors like Europe and China close the gap. Conservatives must stop progressives from causing more inflation with more red tape and bigger government. NetChoice wants you to join them in telling our representatives to oppose a radical antitrust agenda, which includes Senator Amy Klobuchar's Senate Resolution 2992. So learn more about that uh, and send messages to your representatives at netchoice.org slash 2992. This message was brought to you by NetChoice. All right, Jim, we've spent a considerable amount of time in the past few weeks talking about why Dr. Oz was probably not the right choice uh, in Pennsylvania, not only because he's not a conservative or hasn't been until like this week, uh, but uh, he's also got a very poor likelihood of winning because he's not popular in Pennsylvania. Uh, but let's move over to Missouri. Missouri is a deep red state. Uh, President Trump won it by 20 points in 2016. Not sure what the margin was in 2020, but it wasn't close. Uh, Republicans have done very, very well there, winning quite easily for a while. A generation ago, it was a, a pretty competitive state. Uh, not so much anymore, unless you picked the wrong candidate. And that's what Republicans are very close to doing in the Show Me State. The primary there is on August 2nd, so just about six weeks away. And former Governor Eric Greitens, who is the former governor because he had to resign following a pair of scandals, one of which, of course, got more attention, and that's when he had the affair with his hairdresser and then took photos of her in compromising positions and threatened to blackmail her if uh, she ever 
talked about their relationship. Well, it got out, uh, all sorts of sordid details. He had to resign. Now he's decided he's the best candidate for the Republicans to run for Senate. Uh, there are two perfectly good Republicans who are competitive and viable in this race. Uh, Vicki Hartzler, the congresswoman, and the current state attorney general, Eric Schmidt. However, in the current polls... Um, there is a problem. Eric Reitens is winning. <laughs> According to the Hill poll from June 2nd to June 5th, he's at 26%, Schmidt's at 20 Hartzler's at 16 and you don't need 50% to win a nomination in Missouri. So the top vote-getter on August 2nd will be the nominee. So what's Greitens been up to lately? Well, other than going through a very ugly divorce in which his wife has alleged uh, a number of sordid things, he's out with a new ad called Rhino Hunting, where he uh, picks up on the fact that he was a Navy SEAL, and it's uh, him and a bunch of guys. They're former Navy SEAL. He's he's not a Navy SEAL anymore. Oh, very good. Yes. The Navy SEALs, the, you know, the Navy has told him to stop calling himself that. <laughs> okay, that's a good point. Not the worst thing he's ever done, but it's worth mentioning in the, in the litany of yes. crimes and sins. No, you're right. You're right. He's a former Navy SEAL. So he's on the porch here talking about going rhino hunting. He and a bunch of guys look like they're in military gear, uh, about to kick down the door and jump in. Uh, and here's how it all goes down. Uh, here's his ad. I'm Eric Greitens, Navy SEAL, and today we're going rhino hunting. The rhino feeds on corruption and is marked by the stripes of cowardice. Join the MAGA crew, get a rhino hunting permit. There's no bagging limit, no tagging limit, and it doesn't expire until we save our country. So there's Eric Greitens. Uh, he's being called out by a lot of people, left and right. Uh, some people believe that he's directly threatening violence against uh, people he doesn't like in his own party. Uh, it, it's certainly too close for comfort in a number of ways. Jim, uh, we're not big fans of, of rhinos either. We're very frustrated by Republicans that, that say one thing on the campaign trail and then don't do another. Um, Eric Greitens, though, is uh, beyond the pale, especially since we've got perfectly good candidates in this race who would do a very good job in Washington. This guy and his baggage uh, are just not worth it. Greg, remember the good old days when tying up a woman, blindfolding her and, you know, kidnapping her and keeping her in a basement? That was the sort of thing that used to be a career ender. By the way, like, oh, it's ancient. That was 2018. Right. Here he is four years later running for Senate and allegedly the front runner, if that poll is accurate. I, at this point, I'm kind of in denial about that. I, I also recognize that this is a um, there are four other candidates, one who's trailing badly, who probably ought to get out of the race. And you have two, you know, uh, decent conservative competitors who are probably canceling each other out. So at one point or another, one of the others is going to have to, you know, bow out and, and recognize this. Um, but, you know, Greitens, you know, just generally comes across as a maniac. And I noticed this because some people say, oh, look back to Joe Manchin's ad, the cap and trade bill. He was shooting a piece of legislation. Uh, he was doing it on a gun range. Uh, he, was, he was shooting himself. He wasn't, you know, leading SEAL Team 6 or or something like that. It was, I'm Joe Manchin, and I absolutely oppose cap and trade, right? So, you know, okay, fine. You know, if you argue you shouldn't use a gun in an ad, you know. But this, look, you know, the only vague reference to any policy issue is corruption and cowardice, right? This isn't really about issues. This isn't really about positions. This isn't really about public policy. This is about Eric Greitens absolutely hating people and fantasizing about being able to kick down their door and murder them. That's that. This, this, there's a definite whiff of fascism to this ad. I'm very laid back about a lot of this stuff, but I think the, the only message of this ad is, wouldn't it be great if we could kill people who annoyed us? 
And it's one thing for you and I to, you know, jokingly say that. I joke about, you know, Adam Gase being one of, you know, history's greatest monsters or something like that. <laughs> but when you actually get together actors and you reenact the kicking down the door and the haunting, and, you know, there's no bag limit, and, you know, there's no, and it doesn't end until we save our country. You know, when, when do you know when that is? When, when does it become okay? You know, when does it become okay? When do you no longer have to stop? Hunt, do you no longer have to hunt the rhinos? I, I think Eric Wrightens is a maniac. I think Eric Wrightens is somebody who not just shouldn't be in the Senate. I, I don't think he should be you know, in, in any public office. I don't think he should be anywhere near any position of responsibility. And he probably needs to get his head examined. Uh, th- this is a deeply troubled individual who does not belong anywhere near any position of responsibility. And shame on Republican voters in Missouri if they can't, you know, if they aren't sniffing this out, you know, long ago. Never mind now. But anyway, yeah. So this ad is basically—it's just the most utterly clear expression of a malevolent id that I think I've ever seen in, in a political ad. And uh, I think it's a—you know—it's it, this way. It's clearly he's telling us who he is. The question is, will Missouri Republicans listen and take him at his word? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, there's been plenty of baggage that's been on the table for a long time. Uh, the divorce stuff. I think we talked about that when that came out. Uh, I think some of that's been rebutted somewhat effectively. But I mean, that you don't need to do this. I mean, you just see the character here. Uh, he doesn't belong in the Senate. I'm not sure I'd hire him for anything. Uh, and you have good options that can easily win a general election. The last time we talked about him, uh, the most frustrating part was, in addition to just he doesn't belong in the Senate, was that the other two candidates easily win the matchups against the Democratic candidates, whereas Greitens is a dead heat. And the more he's doing this kind of stuff, he'd probably be behind in a deep red state. We can't afford to, to lose races like this when there's so much on the line in this midterm election. No, and... Uh... I'm glad, by the way, I, I, in the, when I came back and I wrote the Morning Jolt this, uh, on Monday, Greg, I, I noted that you and Emily Jasinski had talked about the poll results showing Mehmet Oz trailing Fetterman by nine. Uh, you know, we were not big fans of Mehmet Oz beforehand. We'd prefer to see him win over Fetterman. <clears throat> but when you are down nine to a guy who's just had a stroke and who's not been on a campaign trail for more than a month, that's a really ominous indicator. Now, a whole bunch of us looked at Mehmet Oz and said, oh, my God, you know, besides the, oh, good, it's Oprah's doctor, just, you know, Pennsylvania Republicans needed, um, that he would give you all of the weaknesses of being a MAGA candidate without any of the offsetting strengths of being a MAGA candidate because Pennsylvania Trump supporters look at this guy, what? Who? This this guy's been a Republican for about 10 minutes. There's nothing conservative about this guy. There's nothing populist or nationalist about this guy. He's just one of Trump's celebrity buddies and Trump endorsed him. And so, one, so if he here's the thing, if if Oz were a good candidate, like okay, well, well, clearly Oz is a terrible candidate. I think he's like he's a Ford Pinto of Senate candidates. For you younger listeners, <laughs> the Ford Pinto would basically explode if you tapped on the back bumper. Go watch uh, Top Secret with Val Kilmer if you need a good depiction of that. Um, just he just there's, there's nothing good about him as a candidate. And now it look maybe he has to, he can turn it around, but God, his unfavorables are off the charts. His favorables are are in the toilet. Um, and, you know, for Wizard, Dave McCormick did not have these problems. I, I think Dave McCormick, we, at minimum, he'd be closer. I don't know if he'd be ahead of Fetterman. Maybe Fetterman's got a sympathy vote going on. But, you know, and, you know if you're Republicans, why are you why are our primary voters throwing away these states? Why do they pick the worst guy over and over again? You know, we're going to, you, know, you know, isn't it a great irony, Greg, that we may well retire the phrase, way to go, Nevada, way to go, <laughs> only to have other states replacing it. Yeah, we've done that a couple of times already, including my home state of Michigan, uh, not that long ago. So, uh, yeah, uh, dumb decisions 
are being made left and right. It's it's a primary day in a number of states today, including Virginia. I am now in a swing congressional district, uh, total toss-up. I used to be in a safe Republican district, which I much preferred since every other person who represents me at the local, state, or federal level uh, is a Democrat. Uh, but at least it's a competitive district, and there's uh, several good candidates in the GOP primary. So uh, I think we'll be in decent shape uh, with whoever comes out of it. The thing that was odd to me this morning, Jim, when I went to my precinct, I went at 9 a.m., uh, and the polls open in Virginia at 6 a.m. I was the 22nd voter in the precinct, and I was the only person there at the time. Um, and so I'm just curious that it, since there's no Democratic primary, they only have uh, Congresswoman Spanberger, and there's no primary on that side, that uh, the turnout was so light. I don't know if it'll change during the day when more people uh, have a chance to get over there or something after work, perhaps. But uh, I expected a more robust Republican turnout. One of the weirder and quirkier things about living here in Virginia is we have our governor's race the year after presidential election. Um, we saw the you know, results last year. We have our state legislative elections in those odd numbered years as well. So when we, everybody else is getting really excited, you got big governor's races, all that kind of stuff. We actually only, you know, and, you know, if a year like this where we don't have a Senate race, all we've got are our House races. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a whole, you know if, you're, if you're lucky enough, as you are, Greg, to live in a swing district, Good luck to you. It matters. For me, I'm stuck with Jerry Connolly for another year. So I have not voted yet. I, well, maybe I'll go over. I'm not even sure there's more than one Republican. So they may <laughs> hand me a ballot with one name on it. Say, check it if you feel like it. If you don't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it's, yes. There are certain years you got to look at your, our democracy and say, eh, I don't know if this makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you know it's not looking good in your uh, effort to take out Jerry Connolly when uh, you don't know how many Republicans are in the race because it's so obvious he's going to win re-election. <laughs> so it's, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you live in that district. But uh, nonetheless. Oh, uh, you know what? In fact, I'm looking at this. There may not, as I'm looking at this now, there may not be a Republican primary today. <laughs> there may be only a Democratic primary. So there you go. Jerry's got token opposition? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I do. There I am. Lucky me. All right. Well, I guess I guess you can or say maybe I'm it. looking at the wrong district here. This is the eighth congressional district. That's yeah. So maybe maybe there isn't even a primary in my district. Enjoy going to the ballot, the polling place today, Greg. Not all of us get to do that today. Yeah, absolutely. Someday I live in a democratic country. <laughs> Other states are voting today as well, so if there is a uh, uh, primary or other election where you are today, take advantage of that opportunity, make your voice heard, and uh, we'll see what the results are tonight. And uh, again, big one coming up August second. That's you got Michigan, you got Arizona. That's a big Senate race, Missouri. So could be a lot of uh, celebrating or banging our heads against the table uh, on the on that night and the day after. So uh, we'll be watching. Uh, Jim, have a good day. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch if you haven't already and tell your friends about us as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. We greatly appreciate those, and they help us out a lot. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Much of the media doesn't really cover some of the most important news of the day. I'm Byron York with The Byron York Show. In my latest episodes, I discuss how Democrats have worked to build excitement, they're really trying, around the televised January 6th committee hearings. 
and how inflation is crippling the economy with no solution in sight. Do not forget to download and subscribe to my daily No Chit Chat podcast. I don't talk about every single issue, just the ones you need to know most. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.